I want to tell you a story. There was this story about Frank and Jill, and one morning very early in the day, uh, Frank and Jill had this fire that swept through their house. The house was destroyed, and just about everything that was in the house was destroyed with it as well. Frank, Jill, and their children, all eight of them, all of them under the age of 10, now are homeless, and uh, they had nothing, nothing to show, nothing to speak for. To compound the problem, the family right before this fire happened was having some financial difficulties. So they had to make some uh, really tough decisions. And they decided that they needed to make sure that they took care of those eight children that they had. So in an attempt to cut costs, they reduced their homeowner's insurance as well as getting rid of their car insurance and selling their car. But three days after the fire, that community responded to this tragedy. And they did so with such an overwhelming outpouring of generosity. This family received offers of places to stay. People were offering cars to use. Donations of clothes and money were being brought, poured in. Fundraisers were scheduled in their support. And Frank, he was interviewed by a local newspaper and he said that we'd never asked for a handout, but the offers just keep on coming. And so do our tears. Jill, his wife, added that I can't believe how people have opened up their hearts and their wallets for us. Frank summed up their feelings when he said, the goodness of people leaves me nearly speechless. If anyone ever tells you that people are self-centered and don't help around here, you send them to us and we'll set them straight. You know, I'm reminded of stories like this, of what Seth Wilson used to say. See, Seth was the dean of Ozark Christian College, and he was convinced that being a Christian meant to be able to serve others. We must serve others. It meant giving of yourself and allowing God to be able to use you and the gifts that he is giving you in help of other people to be able to bless the folks that surround you. And to underscore what, what was Seth used to say over here, he says, they're never going to know how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been talking a lot about what I call the pillars of any Christian church and what my vision of is going to be here at, at Central Baptist Church. But Four weeks ago, if you recall, we talked about how God wants churches to be made up of people who really want to worship. Not just worship in song, but worship in prayer, worship in word, worship in attitude and in heart and in spirit and in truth. We talked a couple weeks ago how God wants churches to be filled with people who want to learn about Jesus. And we need to be able to do that through not just our personal Bible study, but also church attendance to be able to learn more about him. But we also need to ask that question, what would Jesus do when those times arise that are real difficult in our lives? Not just those times that are easy. And this week we're going to move on and we're going to start about, uh, talk about a third character quality that I think is so vital within a church. And I want to see it happen here in Central Baptist Church. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Mark 
chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 42 through 45. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. And as you're turning there, let me give you some background. See, immediately before this passage that we're about to read, two of the apostles, James and John, and you might remember this story, they approached Jesus at this point, and they asked him that they be seated at the right hand and at the left of him in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, they, they were were trying to ask this because they felt like they were that close to Jesus. But what we need to understand what's going on here is that back in the Bible times, kings sat the most powerful people at the right and the left of him. So that what, the, what James and John were really asking was, let us be your, one of your most powerful disciples and let us be the most privileged among all the disciples. Let us be the important ones. Well, naturally, this didn't sit very well with the other apostles. And the Bible says that they were indignant. Now, I want you to understand that word for a moment. You know, I like to look back at the Greek text, and I don't want to bore you completely with the Greek text, but I think this is important. See, in the Greek, it's a little bit deeper than what our English language is. And it, it shows the real emotion behind the word, the real meaning behind the word that we're, really, we're trying to read here. And what it's indicating is a real sense of strong anger. So these other apostles were not just a little bit perturbed here. These apostles were extremely angry at James and John and their nerve of asking this question of Jesus to be able to sit on the right and left of Jesus Christ. And it was in that context we get to our passage, which Jesus spoke the words that we find in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. If you're there, say amen. Verse 42, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, Father, just thank you. Thank you so much for you and for your wonderful glory to be shining and bestowed upon us. Thank you for blessings that you give us each and every day, the ones seen and unseen. Father, I just pray you just continue to be with us. Help us understand what you have to say to us in your text here today. Convict us, Father. Help us with, with, by filling us with the Holy Spirit so we might know how to not only just hear your word and understand your word, but how to live your word. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I want to start off by saying that, you know, before you hear a sermon... And God's stomping all over my toes. So I pray you have steel-toed boots today. And if you have open-toe shoes, uh, I feel for you. Because your toes might be stepped on today. And I pray that God does step on each and every one of our toes, mine included. Because we need that sometimes. We need that sometimes. But I want, you to, I want you to answer a question for me. And you don't need to answer it aloud. But do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? 
You know, many people, especially Christians, when they hear this, this question, they say, no, you know, I don't want to be great. But they're preconditioned to hear that, that they don't want to be great. And that's because we've been conditioned to think that we are not supposed to be great in church somehow. That we're supposed to be humble. That we're supposed to, you know, not, not try to exalt ourselves to be great. But I want you to notice something that in this passage, that's not what Jesus said, was it? Jesus didn't say that. He's, he never said that you shouldn't want to be great. No, what he said was, you should be great. I want you to be great, he says. And here's how to do it. He's redefining the whole sense of thought behind that term, greatness. He says, I want you to be great. And the way to do it is to be able to serve others. And then you will be great. So I'm going to ask that question one more time. Don't answer it yet. Do you want to be great? I know I do. I want to be great, but I want to be great at something that really counts. I want to be great at my life mattering. I want it to matter, not for my sake, but for other people that surround me. And I think all of us want that to some degree. I think we all want our lives to matter in, a, in some sort of way. And Jesus says that the way to experience greatness, to experience that, is by serving others. So with that in mind, I want to share three principles from this passage about service. The first principle is true greatness comes from service. True greatness comes from service. And it's true in the life of Jesus. We saw it when Jesus was walking this earth. You know, he's the, probably the greatest illustration of true greatness coming from service. And that's Jesus himself. See, his greatness didn't come from just who he was as being God's son. Although in that alone would be wonderful. It came from what he did while he was here on this earth. Jesus taught the multitudes. Jesus healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He comforted the sorrowful. Jesus touched the people that society said were untouchable. Jesus served people. And Jesus ultimately served in the most loving way on the cross. On the cross, when he gave his life as a ransom for many to, be, to allow us to be forgiven by God so we might be able to have eternal life. He served us in so many ways. And so while it's true that Jesus is great just by his identity, he was also great because of his activity. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was great because of his identity, but he was also great because of his activity. He served mankind. But it's also true in the life of others. In the lives of other people that surround us, we see this concept of true greatness coming from the service of lives of other people that surround us. You know, I think of somebody like Mother Teresa... She served the poor, the sick, the orphaned, the dying, all in Calcutta, India. 
She served a life of total poverty and she never wielded any real authority over anyone. And she was universally regarded as one of the greatest humans of our time. Why? Because she served. She served. She says, I can make a difference for people. And so she let God work through her to do just that. But it's also true in the church. It's true in the church. God wants the same thing with us. You don't have to be a missionary all the way overseas in India to be great. I promise you that. True greatness doesn't come from any titles or money or power. It comes through serving others. Are you getting the idea? If you want to be great, if you want your life to count for something, you must be a servant. You must be a servant. That's the path to true greatness in our lives. The path of making our life count. Serving others. Now I want to follow this principle up with another principle from this text. Our true life purpose comes from service. Our true life purpose comes from service. True service brings meaning and purpose to our lives. And it was true for Jesus. He was, he, he was a man who was understood why he was here. I mean, he said in verse 45, for even the Son of Man did what? Did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. But to serve. You know, he didn't even stop there. He knew what the ultimate serving was going to be and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that wonderful that he knew why he existed? He had a purpose. And he was out there to live out that mission that he was sent to earth for. And even though that there was a cross, the Bible tells us that he experienced great joy because he was true to what God wanted him to do. And his life had meaning because of that. We all want to feel like our lives count for something. We all want our lives to have meaning. So let me ask you, what gives your life meaning? Is it playing sports? Is it your family? Is it work? Did you know that God created each and every one of you and me to be able to serve and good, do good deeds? That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. And in red, what does that say? No, 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 let's start again. In red, what does that say? Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. See, he created you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful to know that from eternity past, long before you're born, God thought about you? He thought about the works that you can do for him. He gave you gifts. And knowing that when you do accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you'll be able to serve him with those, those same gifts. Man. 
One of our deepest longing of people is to feel like we belong, that we're accepted, that we're part of a team. And this is exactly what God has done for us. He's made us part of his team. Praise the Lord. He said to me, here, here Nick, here's something for you, for you to be able to do for me. And he's saying that same thing to you. Here's something for you to do for me. See, God could do it all. Amen? Amen? But he lets us help. He lets us help. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that wonderful to know? Isn't it amazing that God chooses to put us on his team? He lets us play a part. I have a t-shirt that says Team Jesus. Amen. And I love that because we are on that team. We are on that team. And I know I get excited for scripture and I pray you do too. But when we play our part, when we do the good works that God has prepared for us to do, in those moments, we're living out our life's purpose. And we really, really won't feel fulfilled until we give ourselves to service. We're created for that very purpose. Robert Trail, but if you've been on one of our World Changer or Mission Serve mission trips, when you come back, don't you feel good? We're exhausted physically, but that exhaustion is put aside because of the way we feel, isn't it? Well, we have that same opportunity right here. We have that same opportunity every single day of our lives. It's what gives our, li it's our lives meaning. It's what defines us. Because when we serve, we're living out the purpose which God has in store for us. Now, allow me to share with you how you can get involved. Serving in God's kingdom. Because the third point is true service is needed. True service is needed. Opportunities are available for you. Don't ever think that you've come into a place and think that there's no opportunity for you to serve. Because there's a place right here for you to do so. There's literally unlimited amount of opportunities for you to use your talents and your abilities and your gifts that God has given you to be able to serve Him and to serve others. And you can break these opportunities down in two different categories, two different broad groups. Those that are done within the church and those that are done outside the church. And both of these types of service are extremely important. They're vital to the work of God that he's doing in our world today. So I, I want to break these down for you for a second. The first one, the first broad category are those occurring inside the church. Those would be things like singing in the choir, you know, working on children's church on Sunday mornings, preparing to serve communion. And there's preparation in all this. I don't know if you realize. Serving as a greeter, uh, helping to keep the building look nice, uh, going in the sound booth and, you know, helping with the sound or the pro presenter slide. And, you know, those are just tip, the tip of the iceberg. I keep going on and on and on. As a matter of fact, if right now you're currently 
a director or co-director of a ministry. Would you stand up for a second, please? Don't be shy. Come on. If you're a director or a co-director of a, of a current ministry, please stand up. If you look around, if you need something to do, you can ask any one of these men or women. And they can get you plugged into some place here inside the church. You guys may be seated. Thank you for your service, by the way. If you want to help somewhere, talk to some of those folks. These are the people that are working with the rest of our volunteers to make ministry as exciting and God-honoring as it can be. That's stuff that's happening inside the church. But what about outside the church? Outside the church is just as important. Those services, uh, services can include baking cookies and bringing them to a visitor when we need to. You know, serving on our faith team. You know, you know calling somebody when they're sick for several weeks and not present. We need to do those things. Helping with outreach events like our backpack ministry or other things that we do here within our church. And again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I go on and on and on. So quite frankly, there are a bunch of ministry opportunities that we as a church need to organize. I don't know about you, but I want to be part of a church that serves our community. Do you? Amen? Amen. Well, you got a paper last week. And you got a paper for volunteering for various ministries. If you don't have one, there's still an opportunity for you to get, get one from our ushers back there. We need people to serve. Remember, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about the person that's sitting next to you. It's about the person that's living across the street. It's about the person who doesn't know Jesus. It's about them. And we must serve God with what we've been given as a gift. We must. You've got to look at that list. You've got to start making some check marks. And maybe it gets you a little bit out of your comfort zone. But that's okay. Moses was out of his comfort zone too, wasn't he? Just a little bit. We go on and on and on throughout the Bible about people being out of their comfort zones. But we must be out of that. We must start looking towards God for the answers here. We do well here as a serving church. But let me tell you, just like everything else, we got to do better. You know, Donald Rumsfeld once said, if we're coasting, we're going downhill. It's hard to go uphill, isn't it? So we must keep climbing. We must strive to do better. We must take that next step. We must bring along somebody with us. And we need to do what God wants us to do. Well, Brother Nick, there was never, there's not a ministry here for me. Well, let me combat that with this. I belong to a church in Miami. And this a few men who had wonderful skills with working with their hands had no ministry for them, or at least they thought. And so they, one man went to, a, to the pastor and says, look, you know, I want to do something for the church. And 
I feel God's asking, leading me to ask you this. Can we start a car care ministry? Well, we didn't really know what a car care ministry looked like or what it was about. But he said, all right, let's sit down, figure it out, and see how we can put it into action. And so the next month, they started changing oil for the widows of the church. And it started expanding into the people that made appointments that couldn't afford to get their oil changed out in the community. And it expanded into changing, you know, clutch cables and stuff like that. It wasn't, this, this ministry wasn't made up from a bunch of pastors or leaders within the church. There's a man who had an idea to start something new. So maybe there's something on that sheet uh, that's not there that you want to be able to do. Well, bring it up. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Maybe we could figure a way out to make it happen. But we still must serve God with what he's given us as a gift. So how to get involved? Well, this is probably the most important part of this the sermon. I want to be able to talk to you about this, about how to get involved in service so you can experience the fulfillment and the joy that comes from feeling like you are doing something that really counts. Just so you can be great, just like Jesus wants you to be. And real quick, I know we're running low on time, but there's four important steps for getting involved in service. First one is pray and be open to God's leading. I was talking to somebody, I'm trying to make it as general as possible, but it was this past week. And they said, well, I can't do what was asked of me, even though I volunteered because my life got in the way, busy. I'm like, okay, I understand that, but did you pray about it? Oh, I forgot to do that. We have a tendency of doing that, though, or don't we? We forget to pray about it. We must be praying and asking God to open our hearts and lead us to where, we, where, where He wants us to be. Not, God doesn't want every one of us to start a car care ministry. He may want some to. He doesn't want all of us to work in the children's area, but he wants some to. My point is, we need to find where God wants us to be. We must be there. I promise you, he doesn't want me to be a song leader because of my horrible voice. That's Miss Pat's area. But I pray that I'm a halfway decent preacher and teacher and leader. I pray that's my gift. So we must look to where God wants us to be able to serve and pray and be open to his leading. Listen, because when he tells you, if you're praying for it, you need to do it. Second is you need to evaluate what you're good at and what you like to do. Evaluate what you're good at and, and what you like to do. Chances are your service pertains to something that you currently enjoy. It really does. I, lo I love to talk. Hey, now. <laughs> Amen. 
But that's what makes it life fulfilling. When we're able to use those things that we love and enjoy for God. So pray, be open and evaluate what you're good at and what you like to do. And then third, volunteer and fill the needs. When the church advertises, when the church advertises opportunities to serve that fit within your area of giftedness, you need to volunteer. There's lots of areas for service. And starting October 1, we start with a new clean slate of volunteers. October 1 is only a couple weeks away. You realize that? That's our new fiscal year. That's why it's so important that you do this today with volunteering on that list of opportunities that we have for you. So that way Bob and the rest of the team can get to work and putting these teams together and making sure on October 1 we have it together and are ready for our new fiscal year. So volunteer. Fourth, if you have a suggestion of a new ministry, see me with that. Let me help you. We'll sit down together. Maybe we can figure it out. Maybe I'm not smart enough to help you figure it out, but we'll get some other people that might be able to. But let's figure that out. God wants us to be a church that serves. So if you have a passion in a way that we don't serve currently, let's talk it over and figure out how we can make that happen. The church, for it to be effective for God's glory, needs every Christian, not most, every Christian, to use his or her unique gifts and talents to be able to serve. So we need you. Remember that old uh, poster? We need you. So do you want to be great? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's try it again. Do you want to be great? And we need to do what Jesus said. And that's to serve. There is an, uh, an illustration of a young boy named Antonio. Antonio loved music. And there was a boys choir in town where he lived. So he tried out for the choir and he was so hopeful to make it. But his voice, well, it was high and squeaky. And so he wasn't selected. Next, because he loved music, he took violin lessons and a neighbor persuaded his parents to make him stop. (laughs) He wasn't very good at it. Yet Antonio still wanted to make music. And his friends gave him a hard time because his only talent seemed to be cutting things up. So he took the talent of cutting things up and he started making things out of it. His skill was unrefined, let's say, but he enjoyed it. And when he was older, well, he became an apprentice to a violin maker. And he learned how to cut wood and he developed the skill of carving and his hobby of cutting things up now became a craft. And he, he worked patiently, he worked faithfully, and he became the greatest violin maker the world has ever known. And by the time he died, 1,500 violins, each one bearing the label with his name. Antonio Stradivarius. 
They're the most sought after violins that are out there. And the highest paid price for one was $16 million. Antonio couldn't preach. He couldn't play. He couldn't sing. But he used his ability to make violins. And they're still making beautiful music today. So your service for God may be what makes the eternal difference in someone's life. You might not make $16 million, but that eternal reward is worth far more than that $16 million. You may think you love something and not developed it yet. When you serve, it'll develop. It'll happen. And maybe you'll be turned into the Antonio Stradivarius of our serving church. So I pray, I pray that you commit yourself like Antonio did to his music, but to God. And ask him, God, will you show me how to serve? Will you show me what I can do? And I'll do it.